Good morning. It's been good to be here, hasn't it? God is so good. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's good to be in his house today, isn't it? Y'all awake? All right, just checking. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we've started a new series called Disciple Maker. And it's true that you can be a disciple, uh, but not necessarily a disciple maker. And I think it's Jesus' intent when he speaks to us in the Great Commission that we not just be uh, a disciple or a convert even, but to be disciple makers, that our level with him is deeper. You remember last week we asked some questions to kind of stir your heart. Here at the beginning of the year, many of us are asking different questions about what does it mean for me to have a new year and maybe health things are changing or job things are changing. And I think it's good at the beginning of the year to kind of reflect on our heart and our soul and say, where am I with Jesus? Where's my relationship with Jesus? So we asked some questions last week that would hopefully help you kind of uh, answer that honestly. We talked about the fact that, you know, to be a disciple is to be a learner. It's to be a student, right? So it's not just that we, we get saved or we come to know Jesus or walk in relationship with him and then we're done, right? A disciple means depth. In fact, we talked about Ephesians 4 that uses the phrase that we would all come to the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to the measure of the fullness. And anything that you measure has different degrees. And so our depth and our understanding of Jesus, our walk with Jesus, has different degrees of measurement or depth. And so I believe he's calling us to real depth uh, in our relationship with him. That's what we want to talk about this morning. You know, I've come to this conclusion that um, to be a disciple of Jesus, I I mean, to be a deep disciple of Jesus, a follower of Christ, you have to live out of a, what, what we call a Christian worldview. Do you know what I mean when I say that? What, what that means is that foundationally in our lives, the foundation of our lives, the core of who we are, the core of what we believe, the core of what we do, everything is affected by the fact that we are believers in Jesus. Right? That's a Christian worldview. So no matter what it is, whether it's our job, you know, how we, how we care for our families, I heard a story uh, this week or two ago about a head football coach here in central Arkansas who uh, was a believer, is a believer, and he's really, he was really convicted and concerned about how he was raising his children, discipling his children, because he spent so much time on the football field with those kids that he literally stepped down from his high school head football position to take a janitorial position in the same school with the express purpose of I want to get off in time so that I can be home and be the father God's calling me to be and disciple my children. I mean, when I heard that, I just went, wow. You just don't hear about people making those kinds of decisions, those kinds of choices that affect their kids. And and it's, it's beautiful, right? It's amazing that he would do that. A Christian worldview affects everything. When you, when you choose a job, will this honor Christ? In the job, can I, can I talk to people about the Lord? Can I help people mature in Christ? That's a Christian worldview. When I raise my kids, will I be doing, will I be thinking of them? How can I disciple them and for them to know the Lord more and will us be a blessing to the community and the city and the world? Right? What we spend, uh, what, how, we, how we speak, how we act, everything about us should be reflected in the fact that we have a Christian or discipleship worldview. Now, on the other side, some of us just have, we just kind of got a life. This is my life, man. Yeah, I've got a job, and my job gives me money, and and that helps me to live, and I've got some kids and a family, and I have my interests, and I have things that entertain me, and on occasion, I'll I'll do an add-on of God, 
right? I'll do a, a cherry picking thing of God. So yeah, we might go to church Sunday. I think we might. We'll, we'll take a little cherry picking of God here. Or hey, I, my mom's really sick. Will you pray for this little cherry pick? Well, God, I'll, I'll speak to you now. Or hey, I'm in really in trouble. Whatever the case may be, sometimes we cherry pick the things of God, and that is not characterized as a disciple. That, that, you see the difference I'm talking about? A Christian worldview, everything foundationally filters through who we are in Christ and what we believe about Christ. On the other hand, it's just sort of like, I'm out here all on my own, I'm doing this, I got this because I worked hard, and well, yeah, I'll just add a little God in here or there. And uh, it's a big difference. It's a huge difference, in fact. A.W. Tozier says this, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. The most important thing about you is what you think about God. So if you think about God that, that uh, all of your life ought to be lived in honor of him, what you think about him is the most important part of, th- uh, of you. Conversely, if you don't think about God, that's the most important thing about you. And it will be, your life will be characterized by what you think of God. You know, we spoke about this last week a little bit, but it's possible to be in the church, it's possible to be connected to the church, it's possible for your family to be around the church, and yet you not know Jesus as your Savior. That's, it's a haunting thought, you know? In fact, I want to read a scripture this morning. I didn't read it last week, but I think it's important in this conversation to read it. This is Matthew 7. This is Jesus speaking, verse 21. He says, not all who sound religious are really godly people. They may refer to me as Lord, but still won't get to heaven. Listen to this. For the decisive question is whether they obey my Father in heaven. At the judgment, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we told others about you and and used your name to cast out demons and to do many other great miracles. But I will reply, "You, you have never been mine Go away, for your deeds are evil. So it's not even just about maybe being connected to the church or being connected to a religion or having a prayer life with God or even doing good deeds. What Jesus is saying in the scriptures is not about what you just say, because anybody can say anything. It's not about what you look like. You might look the part, and that might not mean anything in your soul. Authentic disciples, true Deep, authentic disciples will be obedient to God. That's what Jesus said. The difference is, are they obedient to my Father in heaven? See, authentic disciples is somebody who their inner life matches their outer life. Their inner life matches their outer life. They're not doing things just for show. It's just who they are. The deeper question and the way I'd like to pose it this morning to us is this. How much do you value your relationship with God? If you put a value on it, how much, how much does it mean to you? Right? When I think about people who've actually done that, when I think about people who have placed a value on relationship with God that we see in Scripture, my mind goes to a few people immediately. Number one, we go all the way back to the beginning, right? And that is uh, Adam and Eve. Here they had a trusting, dependent relationship with the God of the universe, he's coming to walk with them, to be with them. This is, this is amazing. And yet they traded it, right, for an independent, rebellious relationship away from God, hiding and running, right? So what they valued, basically, control over obedience. 
I want to make my own decisions. I want to do what I want to do. This is my life. Obedience is going to be secondary. I'm not, no way. I'm not, I want to be my own person, my own man. I think about, naturally, I think about Judas. If there's anybody in Scripture who actually put a financial price, right, to the relationship with Jesus, it's Judas. How much was his uh, relationship worth? Remember? 30 pieces of silver. Judas said, let's see here, I'll sell Jesus out for about 30 pieces of silver. And so literally, Judas leads this Roman uh, army, this Roman group of soldiers to the garden. And with the coins maybe jiggling still in his pocket, he leans over to kiss the Savior and say, you're worth 30 pieces of silver to me. And what happens? We know that, that Judas' story is the money doesn't, ma- doesn't matter. It didn't do anything for him. In fact, he ends up killing himself. And that money had no place in his life. He valued wealth over the lordship of Jesus. Can I just tell you this too? Listen, it doesn't matter how much money you have. If you don't have a right heart and an understanding of the fact that God has given you that, then you, you won't be happy either. It won't affect your life. In fact, sometimes it can be even a complication to your life. We see that in Judas' story. I think about Peter. It was the same night, right, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the same night, and uh, Peter's a tough dude. I just like Peter. He just doesn't take, you know, any guff from anybody, and he, he stands up real quick when the soldiers come in. He's not, not on my watch, right? And you hear the shing of his sword come out, and he tries to chop somebody's head off. I don't think he was going for the ear, otherwise he'd have been quite the marksman, you know. But he was trying to chop somebody's head off, and he just got the ear. And here's Jesus going, oh, Peter, really? So he picks up the ear, he heals the guy's ear. But just before this happens, you'll remember Jesus spoke to Peter, and he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, no, 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 not me. This is the bold, tough, right, Peter, not me, no, no. No, you're going to deny me three times in the next few hours. Peter couldn't believe it. In his mind, he couldn't comprehend that he would actually do that. And what happens? In the next three hours, the very thing happens. People are asking him around a fire, Hey, aren't aren't you the guy that was with Jesus? No, mm -mm, not me. little girl asked, I'm almost positive you were with Jesus. And he cusses at the little girl. Peter, where we, how quickly we've fallen, right? Peter. See, he valued man's approval in that moment over God's. And at different times in all of our lives, we have to make a decision. What are we going to value most? Are we going to value our relationship with Jesus or something else? Just ask you even now that the Holy Spirit would begin to speak to your heart about the things that you value. What are they? What means more to you than Jesus? Because we all have our price. At some point, the hope is that we would lay that down and say, Lord, everything of mine, everything I am is yours. I want to tell a story. I want to read this scripture. Jesus was trying to make that point with his disciples in Luke chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 57. It's a story of three men. They had been following Jesus as he would teach around Jerusalem or Galilee. They were they're, there was a large group of people. He became very popular, so much so that he'd have to stand on a boat just so his voice would carry in the Sea of Galilee. 
And it's, I've been to the Sea of Galilee, and there's places where you can stand right on the shore, and it just kind of goes up from there. So he, maybe he st- stood in a boat, and maybe his, so his voice could be heard. There's so many people, he had to find ways to amplify his voice. So these guys were probably in a crowd like that. They were probably following him. And I think the sad thing is, I think they think that they're sincere. And yet we see Jesus speak to something else. Luke 9, 57 says this. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those back at home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, the first thing I want us to look at in this little text here is this. we got to realize that Jesus is not just hearing the responses of these men. He's looking into their hearts, just as he does us. So uh, when you first glance at this, you kind of think, well, Jesus is a little harsh. I mean, really? This just seems a little tough. But remember that Jesus is able to look into their hearts and speak directly to their need. All right? Also notice this. It's possible to be around the Word of God, around people of God, and yet never make a decision to go deeper. I want to say that again. It's possible to be around the people of God. It's possible to hear the Word of God, and yet when the Lord beckons and says, follow me, come with me deeper, let's let's go in a deeper place than you've ever been before, it's possible for you to be around those things and yet never truly make a decision to go deeper. Let's look at this first guy. He he says to the first guy, the foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is trying to say to this guy, listen, it's not easy. You want to follow me? Well, I'm telling you, it's not easy, right? It's it's not comfortable. Uh, In fact, the animals have more of a home than I do. Tonight I might sleep under the stars. This is not going to be a a cakewalk for you. In fact, to follow me is to sacrifice. You have to trust God for every provision. You have to come to the understanding as a disciple in Jesus that you own nothing. Somebody who walks in true discipleship of Jesus knows that everything we have is his, right? Every single thing. He's made us stewards of the things that we have, but everything we have is his. In another gospel that tells this story, it says that this man was a scribe, kind of like a lawyer. He was connected to the temple. He, a lot of uh, theologians think that the reason he came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you, I'll follow you wherever you go, is because he wanted to be connected to those crowds. He wanted his name next to Jesus. He wanted to be lifted up in his career, to be seen. Jesus was able to look into his heart and say, this is not going to be easy. This is going to be very difficult. And as he speaks truth to him as he does to us, we don't hear about this man again. Evidently, the difficulty of this is too much for him. And we come to the realization that he valued comfort over a life with Jesus. 
He valued comfort. And we don't hear about him again. The first guy, this guy, the comfort guy, he asked Jesus if he could follow. The second guy, Jesus asked. In fact, I think this is fascinating. He says the very same command or phrase that he did to Peter and John as they're fishing, right? It's like, follow me. It's the same words, but what's the difference? Peter and John go. They drop their nets immediately. They follow. And yet this second guy, what does he say to Jesus? He says, hey, can I first go and bury my father? Right? Anytime someone's father, family, they pass, there's a sensitivity. Oh, my goodness. This is surely, Jesus, you would let this man go and bury his father. What we don't understand is this is a phrase. We need to know the culture of this phrase. Where does this phrase come from and what does it mean? Well, back in this culture, it was, it was meant for uh, a son to follow his father sort of in, a, in business. And so you would help him in his business until the day he dies. And then when he dies, then you would receive your inheritance. If for some reason you chose to not go the direction your father went or be in his business, when he passed, you wouldn't get your inheritance. You see where we're going here? It even became a phrase that people would use, in other words, to say, I've got to wait until I get my inheritance. They would say, let me go bury my father. It became a colloquialism, is that right? It became this, this phrase that people would use that, that didn't really mean it. In other words, this man knew that it could be another 30 or 40 years before his father passed. The reality of his heart is he wasn't ready to serve with Jesus. He wasn't ready to follow. He wasn't ready to commit. He was more interested in security, financial security. He wanted to make sure everything was okay. His 401K was completely vested. His savings account seemed to be where it needed to be so he could make it. When Jesus was saying, come and be with me, the maker of the stars, the one who's made everything will give you anything. You want to talk about security? <laughs> it's not in your little father's little business. It's in my father's business. Saddens me. Saddens me. This man, too, goes away. He valued financial security over an abundant life with Jesus. He also said something interesting to him. He said, you go... And proclaim the kingdom of God. And I think what he was saying here, he said, let the dead bury their own dead, right? What he's saying is, don't be so consumed with earthly things. Earthly things are going to pass away. Heavenly things are eternal. So let the dead go bury the dead. You go preach the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is about eternal life, right? The, the uh, kingdom of God is about spiritual things, not earthly things. All right, the last guy... Seems like a reasonable request when he says to Jesus, let me just go home and just tell my family goodbye, right? I just, who knows where they are, but I just need to go say goodbye. That seems like a reasonable request. And Jesus says, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back over his shoulder. Is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, we can't lose the fact that Jesus is not just hearing what he's asking. He's seeing his heart. Jesus is not just speaking to what the man is saying. He's speaking to the man's heart. So though it may seem harsh to us, it's exactly what his heart needs to hear. What Jesus is saying is, you can't be of any good in this current moment of the kingdom, moving forward, going forward, if you're always looking back and thinking about this life back here or what happened back here. Remember what Paul said? 
He said, forgetting the past and straining ahead, straining forward to what's ahead in Christ. And I just want to say this. Listen, I know that we've all walked through different difficulties and different struggles. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's the loss of a business or a job. Maybe it's a betrayal of a friend, a loss of a child. I don't know what it is. But are you stuck there? I see, I see people sometimes, dear friends, and it's easy to do. We get stuck in whatever broke us back here. And at that point, we just, our lives are never the same. You lose your job, and then all of a sudden, your view of authority and submission changes because people don't care about me. They're just going to get rid of me, you know? Or you lose a child, and then you're, you're, the way you feel about your other children or, or children, period, it changes. Something changes in your soul. Listen, to be a part of the kingdom of God and to be effective, to move forward is to say, Lord, I want you to heal this back here. I want you to heal the pieces of the past because I can't truly move forward. I can't walk forward and be effective if I'm stuck back here. I understand the pain. And hear me say, I don't want to diminish or dismiss unbelievably difficult moments in our lives. But if we have a Christian worldview and we filter everything through that place, God will heal. God will be our hope. He will be enough. And he tells this man, don't get caught back here. Don't be thinking about your old life. You have no idea the life that I've got in store for you. But you know what this man valued? What was instead of what could be. When our view is it's, it was better back then instead of, oh my goodness, it's, it's better going forward than we don't truly understand the kingdom of God. He's leading us to bless us, encourage us. He'll be with us even in those broken moments. There's another story Jesus tells in the book of Mark. I want us to go there. Mark 10, verse 17, says this, and he was setting out on his journey, speaking of Jesus. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commands. Do not murder. Do not, do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And so the man said to him, Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This is a, this is a sad story. This is such a sad story to me. Many of you who've been in the church for a while, you're familiar with the story. We call it the story of the rich young ruler. Different gospels give us different aspects of this man's life. Tell us he's rich or he's young or that he has influence over people. I didn't like him when I heard that he was young and rich already right there, right? But the fact that he has influence. So they think he's maybe 24 to 28, 20, 30. He's got money. He's young. He probably has a full head of hair. You know what I'm saying? Um, he has influence over people. This is, I want to I just throw this in there. This is just like Paul. 
Paul was basically this kind of guy, young, influential. Jesus got a hold of his life. The encounter with Jesus changed him forever, but this man's encounter didn't. I want to look at the story just for a moment, can't we? First thing we notice is if he's rich and he's influential, he's probably wearing something rich and influential looking. And so he runs to Jesus, the first sign of submission. Wow, this is going going good so far. Second sign of submission, he kneels on the ground before Jesus. This is looking good so far. We see humility. And yet he asks Jesus this question. Hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's my role in eternal life? Let me remind you something about this guy. You probably don't get rich and to be a ruler without being a pretty hard worker. You've got your plan, you've got your design, and you're working the plan. And so this is a natural question for him. Hey, I've built my life to here. What have I got to do now for eternal life? You tell me, I'll do it. Let's go. I'm ready. And those of us who know Jesus and know the story of Jesus in the gospel, it has nothing to do with what we do, does it? It has nothing to do with what we earn or what we bring or what we work for. It's a gift of God. It's not something we can boast for because we earned it. Jesus gave it to us as a gift. He doesn't get this, right? And I love Jesus uh, says to him, he says, uh, let me just read this to you. He says, have you kept in what I call the horizontal commandments, right? He says, "Um, do you know the commandments? The horizontal commandments? I'll explain in a second. He says, "Um, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Do you honor your father and your mother? These are all the commandments dealing with people. These are all the commandments that are relational in nature. They don't deal with a connection to God. Isn't that interesting? You would think if there's one commandment Jesus might mention, it would be the fact that you don't put another God before God. You don't create idols. He doesn't mention that. Listen, everything Jesus says has meaning. And the fact that he's not saying that is almost like a subtle way of him saying, man, you don't get this, do you? Oh, you kept all those? Well, way to go. Hmm. Very interesting to me. He says to the man, or he looks at him, Scripture says. And I, I can't get over this because I think about how he looks at me. He looks at the man after this question, and the man says, I've done these. He says he looks at him, and he loves him. I feel connected to that because I feel like what's happening in this moment is Jesus is looking at somebody who's deceived. He's looking at somebody who doesn't have all the information, who is sincerely wrong, who's broken, who's a mess, and yet he loves him. That's my experience with Jesus. Many of your experiences with Jesus He loves us right where we are, no matter what we understand or we don't. He looks at us, and he loves us. He sees our lack of awareness. He loves us still. But you know what's cool about this is he doesn't allow this man just to kind of stay in some lack of awareness. He speaks truth, right? He he looks at him with love. There's some grace, and now he's going to give him the truth. So now he wants to answer the man's question. In the truth. And he invites him to a deeper relationship, to follow him. Same thing he does for us as followers of Christ. He invites us deeper. 
He tries to even help the man understand. Oh, let's see. Your heart is connected to treasure, so let me, let me see if I can help you further. Hey, if you'll go and do this, if you'll go and sell all you have and give the money to the poor, your treasure, remember that means something to you, it'll be in heaven. He's, he's trying to contextualize this man's struggle in his heart. God still doesn't get it. You can have some obedience. You can have some humility. You can even look the part. You can even be a leader in the church. And yet, not value Jesus over something else in your life. And the reality is, if you don't have him, you don't have anything. If you don't have him and you value something else, you don't have anything. Verse 22 says, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Two descriptors of his sadness. He's disheartened and he's sorrowful. Disheartened and sorrowful. Listen, anything at all other than following Jesus that you follow, that you trust in, that you hope in, that your life is connected to more than him is going to leave you disheartened and sorrowful. I promise. And here's the thing, all of us have searched. You might have searched for it in, in, in alcohol or, or drugs, prescription drugs, pornography, shopping, gambling. There's, there's a million different ways that we can try and find some missing place in our heart just to be filled. It gives you that feeling, oh, I'm complete now, but I want you to know nothing completes your soul but Jesus. That's it. And you can look everywhere in the world and never find it until you find him. It's the sad thing of this story, and it breaks my heart because I've been this man. Is this guy speaking to Jesus? He basically says to him before he turns away disheartened and saddened, and he says, Jesus, basically, you're not enough. You're not enough. Have you ever said that? Because every time you've chosen something other than him, you've said it. When you've placed something else above him, you've said, Jesus, you're not enough for me. And that breaks my heart. Listen, we're going to close in just a minute. Is he enough for you? I mean, is Jesus really enough for you? Is there anything in your life that you value over your relationship with him? Anything. You know there's some obedient things that you're supposed to be doing, but instead you're kind of just hanging on. Or you're stuck in the past, looking over your shoulder because you can't get past that thing. What's keeping you from becoming a deeper disciple of Jesus? We talked about it last week, the difference in a convert and a disciple. Convert is somebody who's on the surface. Maybe they've trusted Jesus, but they have no depth. They have no roots a disciple is somebody who's learning and growing and growing in depth. The Christian worldview. What's keeping you from going from here to here? Let me just mention these things that, that all these people we've talked about that have kept them from truly giving it away and saying, Lord, here's my life. Control, money, approval, comfort, family, the life that you used to have or something that happened in the past that you can't get over. 
What is your thing that you value so very much that you would value it over Jesus? I ask you this morning as we close. You know, our job here and every church's job is to equip you, to help you go from one place to another. I talked about the measure of the fullness of Christ. It is our heart and our desire and our job, and we will be held accountable for this by the Father, that we help you grow in your maturity and depth in Jesus. That's what we do. If you don't get there, that's on us. And that's not okay with me. How do we grow in depth in maturity as a disciple of Jesus? Well, in just a minute, after we sing a song here, I'm going to explain a little bit more of some of our plan and how we're going to engage you in that. But I just want to, I want to speak to your heart right now just for a moment, individually. If you're ready to go deeper, if you're ready to say, you know, I've kind of just been floating up here, I'll be honest, I've been adding on. I've been a convert, and I've been sort of adding on some things. I want to be a disciple. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to mature. I want to, I want to get started to the measure of the fullness of Christ. If you're ready to do that, the question for you this morning is, what, what needs to change? Even as I say that, would you just speak to your heart? What needs to change? Or even better, would you speak to the Father, Lord, Holy Spirit, show me what needs to change. Illuminate in my life what needs to change. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus and you've never truly made a commitment to follow him. Would you do that today? Why are you waiting? When we close in just a minute, come speak with me or Brother Jerry or, or any of our pastors and, and, and say, I'm ready to follow. We will baptize you and we will help you grow in maturity in Christ. But for those of you who are ready as, as believers in Christ, followers of Jesus, you're ready to go deeper. If you're ready for that, then the questions are this. What needs to stop in my life? What needs to start in my life? It's God's heart not that we be associated with the church, that we be around the church, that we hear the messages, that we even do some good deeds, but that we be obedient to his word and that we make a decision, Lord, I'm going deeper. I'm going to have a Christian worldview. I'm, everything in my life is going to be filtered out by who I am in Christ and what he wants me to be and who he wants me to serve. Everything will be affected by that. Is that who you are? If not, are you ready? That's where we're going, church. That's who we're going to be by the grace and the goodness of Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you so much. God, we, I just want to say would, thank you for your forgiveness. God, you forgive us. Even when we've been all of these people we've mentioned today, even when we've valued all of these things over you, when we've made decisions, Lord, even when you've looked at us and you saw something in our hearts or our lives that didn't add up and that didn't uh, show that we truly valued you, that we would live for you or that we would die for you, that we would give you all that we are. We didn't truly take up our cross and let Yet, Lord, you look at us and you love us. That is such a sentence of grace. I love it. You see us right where we are. Every person in this room, you see the brokenness. You see the sin. You see the rebellion. You see the lack of faith. You see all the things that we bring, God, that are not trusting you. And yet you look upon us and you love us. Lord, it's because of that grace 
that you were willing to go to a cross and die so that we could know you, we could experience this life in you, and Lord, that we could be used of you to make other disciples. Holy Spirit of the living God, would you move now as we sing this song. If there's anybody in this place that would say, I'm ready to follow Christ, I want to know him as my Savior, would you help them to find their way down and talk to me today? Or God, if there's somebody in this place that says, yeah, I've just been sort of riding on the surface, I'm ready to go deeper in what it means to know Christ. I'm not looking back, I'm looking ahead, and I'm going to be all that he wants me to be so that we truly can see change in our own lives and others, in this city, in this community, in this world, for your glory. God, make us authentic disciples, serving and loving you. We pray in Jesus' precious name.